Good morning. <clears throat> Look at page 41 in your, in your notes. Um, I'm indebted this morning for some of the stuff that we're going to look at to F.B. Meyer for a study on Jacob. And let me say this about Jacob. I think Jacob seriously wanted to be a spiritual man. I think we kind of look at him and we see him just as carnal. And obviously he was carnal, but you know what? He wanted spirituality. I'm going to make a bold statement here. I think we might have found Jacob in a conference like this. <laughs> I think we might have found him in here trying to be spiritual, seeking to be spiritual, but nonetheless going away and doing it his own way anyway, doing his own thing and getting himself all caught up in the flesh and all caught up in the self-life. And I think we need to be careful. You know, we've traveled a pilgrimage, we've come a long road, and uh, we've come to a place where it's very easy for us to think that we're spiritual. Easy for us to look and say, you know, well, listen, we, we, we get it right most of the time. But in our hearts there lurks a heart and a passion for self to be in control. And when we're least watching, it's likely to surface. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll begin with the notes. Father in heaven, would you bless us today as we look to your word. Uh, Lord, we realize, Lord, that uh, we're dealing with the self-life and Lord, it's not an area we even want to look at. It's not something we want to face. It's not something we want to deal with. Lord, we'd much sooner talk about uh, other people's sins. We'd much sooner talk about problems. We'd much sooner talk about difficulties in a movement. But Oh, Lord, when it comes home to me, Lord, that's not so comfortable. Lord, would you bless? Would you just allow us, Lord, by your spirit to look at ourselves this morning and to really see the truth? And oh, Lord, may we not be discouraged, but Lord, may we be helped. May we understand, Lord, it doesn't have to be this way, that it can be a different way. And Lord, may your hand and your power rest upon us now in Jesus' name. Amen. This is quoting from F.B. Meyer here. In many a picturesque English village, there lies a pond of stagnant water, which has been there as long as the oldest inhabitant can remember. It looks innocent enough when the winds of March sweep it or the leaves of October bestrew it, but when it is exposed to the scorching rays of a summer sun, it pours forth volumes of poisonous gases which had lurked unnoticed in its depths and typhoid fever is sown in the homes that cluster around. Such is the heart of man. We do not think, we do not care to know how much evil lies within. We read with listless interest the terrible photograph given by one who could not exaggerate. And Mark 7.21 says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetous wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these, e all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Uh, <clears throat> the Lord Jesus said that of us. Uh, <clears throat> And attach a vague meaning to other words which characterize the human heart as desperately wicked. And thus we do not feel so bad. We, are truly, we, <clears throat> we do not truly verify those words nor realize how evil our nature is or of what a dying need we have for God until we have been exposed in some searching test which shall reveal us to ourselves. And truly, that's what we need. We need a searching test that's going to reveal us to ourselves, that's going to show us. We, we, we quote the words of Paul where Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am. And we know it's true. And yet, it's distant. It's not something that catches us in the here and now. It's not something that we allow to catch us. You know, we look at the sins of others, and that's easy to do. But we don't want to be caught in ourselves. We don't want to look at ourselves and see the reality uh, of who we are. Galatians 2.20 talks about I'm crucified with Christ. Why crucified? Because there was no other way. There was no other help. There's no help for us. There's no uh, <clears throat> renovation. There's no uh, reworking. There's no rejigging. Listen, it has to be crucified. It has to go. Self uh, just cannot uh, be helped. <clears throat> Uh, down on page 42 there, we have a hard time accepting the truth. Deep down we think we are not all bad. We find it hard to accept that the old man is rotten to the core and poisoned at his source. The old Adamic nature has nothing to offer God. Our pride wants desperately to believe that we are not all that bad, but we are. In our hearts we are. You see, the problem for us is the, the, the problem of self. And like F.P. Meyer's pond spewing poisonous gases... When the heat of the summer sun hits the pond, what happens for us is when the pressure goes on, we get a picture of who we are. Now, now, now mark it down. The picture that you get when the pressure goes on uh, is not just an aberration. The picture you get when the pressure goes on is who you really are. And I'm going to give you an illustration, and I wish this illustration was about somebody else. 
I'd like if it was about Brother Van Gelden or uh, <clears throat> maybe Brother Hearth or somebody else, or even about my wife, but it's not. It's about me, all right? And I'd really be much happier if it was something that happened before I was saved, you know, and I could put it back in the dark uh, ages, but it's not. It's about last Thursday, all right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we were getting ready to come. I, I, this is quite a, quite a story, so I've got, I got to give you some background to it. Uh, we, we had this beautiful dog. Cleo was her name. Cleo was a Labrador. And, and Cleo genu- was a genuinely beautiful dog. Uh, she was an old lady. She was uh, <clears throat> very good, never, never made a mess, never did damage. You know, she was just a gentle dog. Loved kids, and everybody loved her, and anybody that's been in our house, everybody remarks on Cleo. Pe- people ask about Cleo. Well, last summer, Cleo got something wrong and had to be put down. Great grief to our family. Well, of course, we'd had a dog for 10 years. Now we had dogs before that as well, and we had to get a new dog to replace the dog. But well, we didn't get a new dog to replace the dog. We got two dogs. Now, <laughs> I was a bamboozled into agreeing it, but that's a different story altogether, right? But <clears throat> we got two dogs, and we got two Labradors. Now, they came to our house all cute and cuddly and fluffy, and man, they, they were gorgeous, right? Uh, but you know what? Labradors grow up. And after about six months, they become teenagers. <laughs> And Brother Jim told us last night about teenagers having momentary lapses of sanity or momentary lapses into, into insanity. Labrador pups don't have momentary lapses. They are permanently insane. <laughs> <laughs> and these two dogs have been the bane of my life uh, for the last few months. I have spent more of my time off in the last few months mending fences, trying to keep these dogs in, than, <clears throat> than I, I can believe. I have spent a fortune on fences. I can't keep them in. Every time they get out, they go. Just a few weeks ago, uh, one of them, the Golden Labrador, Izzy, went missing for a whole week. Now, secretly, I was rejoicing. Nobody else was rejoicing. <laughs> uh, my, my wife was praying for the dogs to come back, and, and you know what? Izzy came back. Right? Uh, had been at a neighbor's place, uh, <clears throat> enjoying it, eating, eating remote controls off a TV and so on, so she's worse now than she's ever been. Right? Uh, but the dog came back, and... Just a few days later, uh, I'm letting the dog out in the morning, and the dog runs, and the dog is gone. So I have to stay home <clears throat> and uh, wait for a phone call from somebody to tell us where this dog is. And both of them actually went on that occasion and go pick the dogs up. Now, we live in the country, and um, all our neighbors are farmers around us, and they, they, they farm sheep. And now it's lambing season, right? And you can't have Labradors running around during lamb- lambing season. It's just irresponsible as far as they're concerned. Now, they already think that anybody that doesn't work the land is a yuppie, and um, they're just irresponsible. So they think we're irresponsible, and they think everybody uh, like us is irresponsible. And so when you get this phone call to go get the dogs, it's always a humbling thing uh, to go and pick these dogs up. So I thought, I'll fix Izzy. Izzy is the golden Labrador. Izzy, Izzy is the one that's run. I will put her on a ball and chain. And I put a chain and a log to her, and I have to admit that I did take some pleasure in it. <laughs> <laughs> She deserved it. <laughs> so I put her on this ball and chain, and Izzy, uh, <clears throat> we couldn't run anymore. She was kind of stuck, and because she didn't go, the other dog didn't run. I thought, listen, I got the problem fixed. All right, well, uh, last Wednesday, Hannah bought the dogs a new collar. And we're leaving for here on Thursday morning, so we've got to get to the church for 8 o'clock and uh, do some things at the church, and then we're, we're, we're leaving at 10 o'clock. And we're leaving, so in the morning before we go out, uh, this new collar's on the dog, and Hannah's put the new collar's on the dog, and, uh, and they look very cute, but they didn't look strong enough to me. I, I kind of wanted something with barbed wire on it. I really, you know, something, <laughs> something that was really strong. Well, anyway, I put the, I, I chained Izzy to her ball and let her out, and the next thing I look, there's the chain, there's the ball, but Izzy's not attached to it anymore. She's broken the collar already. Two seconds and she's broken the collar. So here we are, we're ready to go. We're just ready to walk out the door, ready to leave for the airport. You know the high stress of getting ready to go on a trip? Uh, we're there, but we've gotten through it very well. Everybody's packed, everybody's on time, everybody's ready. We're just ready to walk out the door, and the dog is gone. Now, <clears throat> Hannah's not going to be able to find the dog if somebody, somebody phones her, and um, <clears throat> we've got to get this dog back right now. So I see the dog, and I call the dog, and I'm not kidding you, the dog grins at me. You don't believe Labradors can grin, but Labradors can grin. This dog grinned at me <laughs> and went for the fence. And the other dog's a bit dumb. The other dog saw Izzy go and said, oh, fun. 
just like a teenager. <laughs> and went bounding after. And so anyway, so I mean, oh, I got to get these dogs back, and I got them back, get them back right now. So I jump in my car, and I drive down the road, and I see them. Great, they, they, they're not far. And I jump out of the car, leave the car running, and I go, Izzy sees me, grins again, and runs again. Now, I'm a little bit upset by this point, all right? <clears throat> I, I'm not doing well with all this rebellion. And so I follow them on down the road. And this time I get out of the car and I catch them. And I got a dilemma. Here's my Jeep sitting in the middle of the road running with the door open. And by the way, <clears throat> where we live, you know, my Jeep sitting in the middle of the road means the whole road's blocked from both ends. Nobody's going anywhere. But I can't stop long enough. I'm not able to get both these dogs in the car at the same time. So I have to kind of manhandle these dogs up to the house and leave my Jeep there in the middle of the road. Uh, I get them up to the house and throw them in the cage and, and um, throw them in the... That's, that's a good word, all right? <laughs> and then run back down the road and get my car and bring my car up. And <clears throat> My wife is there when I come back and she is wondering if I'm in the flesh and she asked me, all right? <laughs> Not a good time to ask a question like that, all right? But, you know, the reality was, listen, I had completely lost. I was in control completely. I was completely in me doing it. There was no God in that moment at all. It was just the dogs, and it was me. And you know what? The horrible thing is, that's not just an aberration the morning we're leaving. That's me left to myself. And you know the truth? That's us. That's Jacob. I still want to stand here and be Joseph today. Don't you too? I want to be Joseph. But you know what? We're not Joseph. We're Jacob. But you know what? God's in the business of making Josephs out of Jacobs. God's in the business of working in our hearts and lives and making us the people that he wants us to be. Um, Let's look at the manifestation of the self-life. And F.B. Meyer is really helpful. By the way, we'll come back to our story. I told it to you for a purpose. We'll come back to it in a moment, all right? The manifestation of the self-life, <clears throat> one of the, mo- the Bible characters that most clearly speaks to us of the self-life is Jacob. He aspires to be spiritual, and he really does. He seeks blessings. He goes out, he's willing to lie, cheat, and steal to get them, but he wants spiritual blessing in his life. He meets with God. He wants the blessing from the angel. You know, <clears throat> he, he longs for it. Esau, on the other hand, couldn't care less. By the way, if you do a comparison between their two lives, Esau, in many ways, has a better life. God is dealing with Jacob and dealing with Jacob because God sees something in Jacob that he wants, something that he's going after. Don't always look at the troubles and the difficulties in your life as being the fact that you're not spiritual. Sometimes it's just because you're looking to the Lord, and God sees something he can work with that he's actually dealing uh, in you with. Hey there, his failings speak to us. He takes advantage of his brother when hard-pressed with hunger. Now, can you imagine the scene there? Isa comes in, and he's hungry, and uh, Isa can't see, can't see beyond the next 10 minutes. Isa wants food, and he has to have it now. And, I mean, that's ridiculous enough, but you know what? Jacob is sitting there saying, I wonder how I can make, make an advantage for myself out of this. I wonder how I actually can do something that's going to make me a gain in the situation. Now... <clears throat> Do you ever do that? Do you ever look at somebody in trouble or somebody who thinks they're in trouble and wonder, how can I make a gain for me out of that? You know, our society makes a very virtue of it. And very often it's lurking in our breasts too. He, he deceives his father. Um, <clears throat> he is willing to lie barefaced to get the blessing. Right? He is w- willing to lie. I mean, he is willing to actually deceive his father completely. He puts on the hair. He puts on the clothing. He, he deceives him by making him or trying to make him think that he's Esau. Did you ever do that? Did you ever try and make people think you're something other than you are? Don't we do that? That's the Jacob in us. That's when we pretend, when the reality is one thing, uh, but <clears throat> we're pretending to be something else. You know, we can put the suit and tie on and we can look good. We can put the smile on our face and we can look good. We can, we, we can be one thing at home and something entirely different when it comes to church. And what we're doing is, listen, we're deceiving just the same way as Jacob did. That's Jacob in us. Uh, he meets Laban's guile with guile. Laban tricks him, so it's fine for him to trick Laban. 
You realize too that <clears throat> Jacob was blessed of God. His life was blessed of God. He never knew it though because he always thought he was the one that was responsible for blessing himself. He never gets to the place where he actually can enjoy the blessing. He, all his days. You know, Laban trick, God was going to bless him. He was going to be a wealthy man. But he's going to make it happen for himself. And he does. <clears throat> uh, he thinks to buy himself out of his trouble with Esau. In chapter 32 and 33, don't, don't look there for time's sake, but a very interesting. Uh, <clears throat> Jacob here meets with the angel, and um, he won't let go until he's blessed. All right? And he ends up with that limp that he's going to carry for the rest of his days. Uh, <clears throat> but, but he wants the blessing that bad. And he's met with God. God's blessed him. Do you know what he does, though? He goes straight out, and he starts organizing life again for himself. He's going to meet Esau, so Esau's on his way, so what he does is he arranges, and by the way, a real indication of who, who Jacob is and the way he arranges his family. He puts least favorite wife and children out first. Second least favorite wife, second. And then he's got third, he's got Leah, and fourth, he's got Rachel. And you see, what he's doing is he's always organizing, always scheming, even when there's blessing involved. You know what? He still thinks he's got to do it. He's got to make it happen. He's so like us. He is so like we are. Uh, <clears throat> he mixes in a terrible mingle-mangle religion and worldly policy. He, Jacob's the kind of man, he can pray up a storm and then go out and make something happen that really is not right with God and think he's depending upon God. Do you ever do that? Do you ever pray and seek God's face on something and then you do something that you know he's not entirely happy with? That, that's what Jacob does. Jacob is actually living a, a completely carnal life. Uh, his children grow up to hatred, violence, and murder. And, and by the way, is it any wonder? He's got 10 kids who are just chips off the old block. You know what the hardest thing that you face in your children is? You. <laughs> what you haven't dealt with in yourself, you face in them. And it's, it's all the harder for you because you don't want to look at it yourself and you have a real hard time looking at, at it then. And he deals within his children when he hasn't dealt with it himself. He cringes before a distant Egyptian governor and he sends him presents. Uh, mean, crafty, and weak are the least terms that we can apply to him. But alas, who is there that does not feel the germs of this harvest to be within his own breast? Hidden there, there are seed germs in a mummy case and only waiting for favorable conditions to ripen them to the same disastrous growth. There goes myself, but for the grace of God. And so we do really well to recognize the Jacob in us, to actually see it and recognize it. Because God can help us, but God can't help us till we face our sin. God can't help us till we face what we are. And what we so often do is we, we become victims of our own propaganda. Now, what I mean by that is we portray one picture of ourselves so people respond to us as if that's who we are, so we actually believe it. <clears throat> we get caught in our own deception. Uh, and we need to recognize who we are because when we recognize who we are, we're in the place where God can help us. We're in the place where God can actually begin to deal with and help us. Uh, his aspirations speak to us. We, too, have our angel-haunted dreams. Uh, we make our vows when we leave home. You know, Jacob met with God that first time and he made a vow. He said, God, if you take care of me, then I will. Do you ever make a deal with God? Do you ever make a deal with God <clears throat> what you would do if he would do? Listen, you don't make deals with God. God is God. You know, <clears throat> making deals with God is failing to understand who he really is. Listen, he is God. It's absolute surrender. Lord, whatever you want. That's the only uh, deal we can make with him, come to the place where we're, where we're willing to surrender to him. Uh, we too count hard work a trifle when inspired by all-mastering love. Now, <clears throat> very romantic side to, to Jacob. He works 14 years for Rachel. And he thinks it but a few days for the love he had for her. He loves her so much that he's willing to work 14 years. Now, ladies, doesn't that sound very romantic? Doesn't that just attract you like something else? Uh, the fact that he was willing to work 14 years. But understand this. That's not really love. Jacob is working for something he wants. And we can all do that. We can all be sacrificial when it comes down uh, to something that we want. And it's not really sacrificial. It's just us doing something for ourselves. And again, <clears throat> don't get caught in your own propaganda. 
Don't get caught looking at yourself and thinking how good you are and how good you get it. Uh, we too cling uh, to a paroxysm of yearning to the departing angels that they should bless us ere they go. And we look at our lives and there are those moments when we, when we get before, on our face before God and we plead with God and God, we need blessing. And oh Lord, listen, take everything but just bless me. And we get up. And we're willing like Jacob to go and make things happen again ourselves. We forget what we've done. And we think those moments define us when those moments could define us, but very often we step back into the flesh again. Uh, we too get back to our Bethels to bury our idols. You know the only problem with coming back to Bethel? It means that you've left. It means that you've gone. And that's what we do. And we, we look at those moments when we come back and we think, wonderful, but we're not supposed to leave. We're supposed to stay there with them. We too confess ourselves pilgrims and strangers on the earth. We too recognize the shepherd care of God. And we too wait for God's salvation. And Jacob's sorrows speak to us as well. See, there's his sorrows. In every life, there's a leaving home to go forth alone. There's a weary struggle for existence. There's a limp which reminds us of some awful crisis. Realize that the God has to, in our lives, do something to reveal ourselves to, our, to us. That we don't actually see ourselves just because we're nice people and we finally kind of take a look in the mirror. That God has to take and do it. And listen, if God is going to use a man, he has to break a man. And how he breaks us is he reveals us to ourselves. He lets us see what we really are. And you do well when God lets you see what you really are, never to forget it. The problem for us is, though, we often do. We forget what God has shown us, and we move on uh, thinking we're, we're better than that. You see, <clears throat> the truth is that in each of our hearts there lies a Jacob, and it's God's job to reveal it, and our job to recognize it and say, yes, Lord, I see it, I reckon it. And the Jacob never fully goes away, not until we see Jesus. It's always there, and we can always slip back into it. Um, <clears throat> there's an Alan Bacuth, an oak of weeping. Uh, there's a lonely grave on the way to Ephrata. Uh, there's a lost Joseph and the gray hairs of sorrow. Uh, and we have mourned our hopes, which have mocked us with their non-fulfillment. I have not attained. Joseph sta Jacob stands before <clears throat> Pharaoh, and he says, Few and evil have been the days of my pilgrimage, and I have, they have not attained unto the days of my father, or my fathers. And <clears throat> we need to look at ourselves and understand that the Jacob life, the self-life, is always going to bring us to grief. And it's not just because God doesn't care about us. It's because he does care about us that he always allows it to bring us to grief. The self-life uh, is a burden that we really can't afford to carry. It's a burden that we need rid of. It's something that we desperately need God to remove but God doesn't operate contrary to our wills. He expects us to yield to him in it. You know, Joseph is Jacob's son, but he's a totally different character. Now, he's made out of the same rootstock, if you like. But he's different. He responds differently to what God does in his life, completely differently. And it's the response in your life to God's dealing with you that's going to actually indicate where you're going to go. That's going to indicate what's going to happen in your life. All right, number two, Roman number two, the source of the self-life. At the heart of Jacob's problems and ours is a lack of faith or a misplaced faith. We trust ourselves rather than God. It's interesting that Jesus' most searing rebukes to his disciples are reserved for those moments when their faith failed or rather they did not exercise faith. Now, isn't that interesting? You know, we, we would think his most searing rebuke would come for Peter when Peter denied him. You know, they, they did a lot of stupid things along the way, didn't they? We would think that his searing rebukes would come at those times, but his searing rebukes come in times of lack of faith. Let's just look at a couple of them here. Matthew 6.30. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven... Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? What's he saying to them and to us? We're not supposed to worry. When was the last time you spent time worrying? When was the last time you spent a night worrying 
When God has said, I'll take care of you. I will look after you. You see, faith is very personal. We can look at faith in, you know, in several different angles, and we can look at faith when we're, we're looking for God to do things, but there's a very, very personal and basic aspect of faith. And, and if I were to just give you, give you just a, uh, an easy definition of it, faith is the confidence that God will take care of me. Just that confidence that God will take care of me. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's just that basic confidence that God will take care of me. And when he finds the disciples and others and you and I not trusting him to take care of us, you know what he does? He rebukes us for our lack of faith. He rebukes us for not trusting him. It's an issue with God. It's not just he wishes we would get to this place where we would restfully trust him, but it's an issue with him. When it doesn't happen, he's upset. Now, Matthew 8, 26, next, next text there. Uh, and he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. You know this, the situation there. They're in a boat. The boat's go, about to sink. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus is asleep on the boat. And when he arises, he rebukes the wind, but then he rebukes them too. He says... <clears throat> Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Now, let's catch the situation for a second, because I really sympathize with these guys at this point. I love the sea. When I'm standing on dry land, and I can see it out there, I love it. I love a stormy sea. I can even countenance the idea of being on a nice, calm sea in, a, in some kind of a pleasure boat. That, that's nice. But I have no desire to be on a small boat out in the sea when there's a heavy sea and when it's stormy. That's terrifying. The sea is a powerful thing. Uh, it is vast and it is powerful and the, it seems like there's no bottom to it. And listen, it can do anything. It's got a life all of its own. And these men know the sea. And this storm has whipped up and they know how dangerous this storm experientially. They've seen storms like this before. They know how dangerous it is. And they're in a boat and they're bailing for their lives. The boat's nearly full. They know what's going down. And Jesus wakes up and rebukes the sea and he says, why are you fearful? Well, I understand why they're fearful, don't you? (laughs) But you know what he was looking for? He was looking for to trust him. I will take care of you. It doesn't matter whether I'm asleep or whether I'm awake. I will take care of you. I want you to know that. I will take care of you. And he is offended when they don't. He is offended when they don't trust that he will take care of them. All right, Uh, look at uh, Matthew 14, 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? This is Peter walking on the water. Now, again, I have no idea why Peter asked to step out of that boat. Absolutely no idea. I cannot imagine myself in any circumstances wanting to step out of that boat and walk on the water. I just can't, right? Uh, Jesus is walking on the water. Peter sees him. And Peter says, Lord, if it be you, bid me come to you. And Jesus says, okay, come. And Peter steps out of the boat and walks on the water. Listen, I think forevermore he needs to be commended for his faith because I couldn't do it in a million years. But as he begins to sink, Jesus rebukes him and says, why did you doubt? What's Jesus saying? Did you think I really would let you drown, Peter? Peter, did you think I cared so little for you that you were going to drown in this moment? Why did you doubt, Peter? Why did you doubt the fact that I would take care of you? Uh, Matthew 16, verse 8. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves because ye have brought no bread? Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. They forget to bring the bread. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees. And um, they get all concerned and they're saying, Oh, he's given out to us because we forgot to bring the bread. And basically what he's saying, Why have you no faith? Why don't you understand? I can take care of you. I will take care of you. I will look after you. Our God wants us to understand that he will take care of us. And he doesn't want us just to know it, you know, with an intellectual knowledge. He wants you and I to believe it and to rest in it and know he's going to take care of us. Now, he's not always going to take care of us the way we would like to be taken care of. But he's always going to take care of us. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? 
They're going to be thrown in the burning fiery furnace. And they, they make this fabulous statement of faith. <clears throat> we're, we're not concerned about your threats. Our God is able to deliver us from the fire. But he will deliver us from you. Whatever happens, he's going to deliver us. He's going to take care of us. God wants us to trust that he's going to take care of us. And when we fail to trust that God's going to take care of us, the Jacob surfaces in us. And we start taking care of ourselves. And that's what we do regularly. Oh, listen, you know, we, we can talk about faith. We can talk about the fact that he would. We can talk about the fact that he could. We can talk about the past when he did. But for me to trust today that God's going to take care of me, that's a different thing altogether. And when I won't trust, Jacob surfaces and I take care of myself. And that's what Jacob did all his life. He failed to trust and he spent his whole life taking care of himself. And that's why his life is so weary, hard, and worn because Jacob's doing it himself. Jacob is the man. Jacob is taking care of himself. Jacob is taking care of his life. He is doing it. And God is upset with that. And God is constantly trying to bring him into a place where he will trust. Where he realizes he doesn't have to do it all. Where he realizes it doesn't all rest on you, Jacob. I will take care of you. But Jacob can't get it. And I think we have just as hard a time in this day and age getting that lesson as Jacob did. And we think we have to do it. Uh, Look at Hebrews 3, verse 17 through 19. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? That's a pretty stark statement. Their carcasses fell in the wilderness, a whole generation. Why? Because they wouldn't trust that he would take care of them. They wouldn't trust that he would take care of them and go into the land. They'd have been in it uh, 40 years before had they just trusted, but he let them all die. That's an indication to us how important this is with God. God wants us to trust him. He wants us to depend upon him. And there's only really two options for us. We're either going to trust him and depend upon him or we're going to trust self. And so often, we just flip on the self side. Now, let me say this. Self works. Did you know that? (laughs) Self actually works. Do you know that, listen, if if you were to add up all that Jacob had by the end of his life, Listen, he had 12 sons, he, had, he was vastly wealthy, you know, he had lots of good stuff going on in his life. And that's part of the problem for us, because we can actually make it work. We can make self work. Do you know that I got those dogs in the cage, and we got off to the airport on time that day? Self worked. Self works in our lives. And that's a problem for us, because it grieves God. God is grieved by it. God God allows us sometimes to work it out, but but we end up carrying the weight of it, and he doesn't want us uh, carrying it. He wants us trusting him. Look at, sorry, in Hebrews 3 again there. And to whom swear he that he should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Unbelief is the key issue between us and God. That failure to trust him to look after us, and to take care of us. That failure to put ourselves in his hands, that failure to obey, is born of unbelief. And it always springs us into the self-life. We don't trust him, we end up trusting self. Some of Christ's sweetest words of commendation were called forth by faith in him. And strange to say, they were usually spoken by those who had the opportunity to know him the least. A centurion comes looking for his daughter to be healed. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come. And the centurion says, you don't need to come. Just say the word. And she'll be healed. How how could this centurion trust him like that? You just got to say the word. Listen, Jesus commends him for it. Jesus says, I have not found so great faith, not in Israel. Just simply because he trusted him. Uh, Ruth Paxson says this, there is no record in God's word, and it's on the end of your page there, and no instance in human experience where grace and love have failed to respond to faith and trust. God would be untrue to the very essence of his nature, which is love, and to the very heart of his work, which is grace, if he failed even once to respond to real faith. Whoever will come to Jesus saying, if thou wilt, Lord, thou canst, will surely hear him say, I will. And you know, listen, we know that in our lives. 
There have been those moments when you have come to the place of absolute desperation. You have come to the place where you couldn't and you knew you couldn't. Normally, initiated by God. God brings us there. We don't willingly go there. God brings us to those places. But you come to the place where you can't and you cried out to God and you saw a miracle. And you're amazed. The miracle is just the normal, everyday working of faith. That's what God wants from us. God wants us to come to the place of desperation where we cry out to him. Uh, I'm not going to read through all the verses here. We'll, we'll just read the headings here. But Ruth Paxson gives us a list of things that the Bible shows us that we receive by faith. Faith opens the door to every blessing that is ours in Christ. We have access by faith. We have sonship by faith. We have righteousness by faith. We have forgiveness of sins and sanctification by faith. We have cleansing by faith. We have Christ's indwelling by faith. We have the Holy Spirit by faith. We inherit the promises by faith. We have victory over the world by faith. We have victory over the evil one by faith. We have victory over circumstances and difficulties by faith. We are kept through faith. And on and on and on, we have power through faith. All of it comes through faith. Tozer says that faith is the vitamin apart from which we can't get anything from God. And really, that's the truth. That apart from that place where we're, where we're trusting and depending upon God, we can't get anything from God. But listen, in that place of faith, we can have anything from God. Now, don't get me wrong. We're not peach, preaching, you know, uh, you know, believe it and claim it. God's going to do what God is going to do, but it's always going to be the best thing for you. You can trust him. It's always going to be the best thing. He's always going to work it out that it's going to be the best thing for you. You may be facing a hard situation today, and you may be looking at it and thinking, how is this going to work out? I want it to go in a certain way. But God may have a completely better way than that. God's way is always the best way. The way God works it out is always the best way. We need to trust him. Uh, on the end of page 48 there, two things are absolutely essential to a harmonious relationship with God. We must believe that God is and that God does. Apart from these two fundamental convictions, there is no salvation and no blessing. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. One of our problems is that faith takes control out of our hands and puts it in God's hands. We have to let go of self in order to truly trust. Some of our greatest battles come just on that point. Jacob stealing Esau's blessing in Genesis 27 is a wonderful example. He is spiritual enough to value and want the blessing and carnal enough to lie and cheat to obtain it. You know what that is? That's spiritual schizophrenia. (laughs) And the Jacob in you will always make you just that. There's the one side of you that wants God to work in a desperate way, and there's the other side of you that wants to work it out and keep control of the situation yourself. You see, here's the the fundamental truth for us. God might not do what we want him to do. We don't want that, do we? We want God to do what we want him to do. God doesn't do what you want him to do. God is God. God does what's best in the situation. What he wants to do, what's best in the situation, and always it's best for you. But you know what? We want to second guess him. Do you know the truth is that we want to be God in our own lives? Jacob wants to be in control. He wants God's blessing, but he wants to be in control of what happens. And that's how he lived his life. And so often, lurking beneath the surface... That's what's happening in our lives. We want to be in control, and we want God to bless, but we want to be the ones in control. We want to be the ones that are actually working it out. We want to be the ones <clears throat> that, are, that are in charge of the situation, so to speak. And we can't trust God, and we can't have faith, and we can't be truly blessed. God wants to bless our lives, but we hinder his blessing by keeping control of it. Uh, let me let you read that uh, piece from um, F.B. Meyer yourself. It's just at the end of the page. That unbelief is not passive. It is actively trusting self rather than God. We may not do it as blatantly as Jacob did, but we will place our trust in self and act accordingly. When we don't believe God, we place our trust in self and we act accordingly. We do it ourselves. We make it happen ourselves. And <clears throat> that's spiritual suicide. It ends up hurting us so deeply. And the problem for us is that if we do it often enough, we end up not being able to even see it, that we're in control. You know, if you had talked to Jacob, um, I I wonder what he would have said to you. 
What if he said, oh yeah, I have a terrible problem, I just keep taking control of the whole thing? No, you know what? He would have justified it. He would have given you all the reasons why he had to do it that way. And they would have been, they would have been good reasons. He would have told you, listen, do you, do you realize my uncle Laban was such a crook? <clears throat> do you realize all that he took on me? Do you realize that left to himself he'd have taken everything and I'd have ended up with nothing? In other words, there's no God to look after me. I've got to look after myself. <clears throat> and that's what we do too. Listen, there is a God. Do you know <clears throat> that when I did that, that issue last Thursday when I got so upset with those dogs and I took control of the whole situation and I ran with them, do you know that for those few moments there was no God? That's terrible. But for those few moments there was no God. I was just doing it. I was operating on myself. Now you're saying, well, what else could you have done? Well, I suppose I had to go after the dogs. But you know what? It could have been completely different. I could have trusted God. I could have depended upon him and the whole situation would have been completely different. The whole situation would have worked out completely differently. And you know, the truth is, you never have to take it in your own control. You never have to take control of the moment and squeeze God out of it. You see, Jesus was in that situation, but I couldn't see him. And he was saying, why have you no faith? Why don't you trust me to take care of the situation? I've taken care of you in all these huge areas of your life, and now you've had a situation that I can't take care of, and you've got to handle this yourself. And he let me handle it myself, and it worked but it was just the flesh. It was just the flesh. And it is so easy for us to do that. It is so easy for us to step back. Now, <clears throat> let me give you some tests for the self-life. Luke 14. You, you'll know it as a passage on, on discipleship. Turn with me there to Luke 14 for a moment. Verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, <clears throat> I just want to catch one thought there. Jesus is thinning the crowd now. Do you realize that? Well, that's totally foreign thought to us, isn't it? We want to build the crowd. Jesus is thinning the crowd. Jesus is looking for something. He is looking for quality. And he's looking for it today. He is, looking for, he is looking for something in you and I that gratifies his heart. Something that makes it all worthwhile to him. And I think when, he, when we put our trust in him, when we truly depend upon him, just person to person, person to God, when we truly put our trust in him, the great heart of God finds what pleases him and what only pleases him in all of this world. When we put our trust in him, and here he is with these guys, and he, he, listen, he's, he's thinning the crowds. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, <clears throat> the choice has got to be him over everybody else, including self. It's got to be him over every. Is he more important to you than anybody else? You see, I think sometimes we could go through the list and we could say, well, he's more important to me than mother, father, a wife, children, and come to self, and if we were honest, get hung up. Because we got plans. We got ambitions. We got things that we want. And we get caught on that there. <clears throat> but he's supposed to be more important to, to us than self. Is he more important to you than self today? Is he more important to you than any other relationship? Is he more important to you than anybody you can think of? Is there somebody in this world that you would be willing to disobey him in order to please them? If that's true, you can't be his disciple, he says. doesn't mean you can't be saved, but you can't be his disciple. He wants to be number one to you. <clears throat> Look at the second test in the next verse. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And what does it mean to bear your cross? It means to face the reality of that his way may not be what you want at all. It may not be. These, these men looked at the cross and, you know, 
When he spoke cross to them, the hairs on the back of their neck stood up because they'd seen crosses. They saw what crosses did to people. <clears throat> and the Romans intended that everybody know what a cross did to people so the people would look at the cross and say, I'm never going there. I don't care what they tell me to do. I'm doing it, but I'm never going to a cross. It was intended to strike terror in the hearts of people. And Jesus is speaking to a group of people that know what a cross is about. And it means you've got to be willing to do what I want you to do, even if it's not where you want to go at all. Now, I wonder, is that true of us today? Are we willing to be what he wants us to be, to do what he wants us to do, even if it's not what we want at all? You know, we're very entitled people in the Western world. We've got lots of entitlements, don't we? We're entitled to all kinds of things. We're entitled to happiness. We're, we're actually entitled to happiness. Right? That, that's that's, our, that's what, what's in our minds. If we're not happy, we're upset. Why are we not happy? Ireland is a welfare state. Uh, in Ireland, if you're not happy, it's the government's fault. The government needs to make you happy. needs to give you enough money to make you happy. And I mean, people, you know, people, people get on the, on the TV and they, they, they make incredible statements. And the reality is, everybody's entitled to be happy. But no, you're not. See, Jesus' plan for your life uh, may not be for you to be happy. It may be for it to end. And that's okay. Because he's in charge. And you've you got to face that if you're going to defeat self. Because self is about protecting self. Self is about looking after me and making sure that I don't have to face hard things. You know, they say we all live an easy life. Well, we do. And self's job is to protect that easy life. Self is, <clears throat> listen, somebody else can take, the, can take the pain. I'm going to make it easy for me. And you've got to face it. You know what? My life may not be what I want it to be. You know, we read those mission stories of... <clears throat> missionaries that went to uh, mission fields and died a few months later, and we think, what a waste. It's not a waste. If that's what God wants for that person, then that's fine. They fulfilled what he wanted for them. We want it to be successful in our terms. And God wants us just to obey by faith. Just trust me, I'll take care of you. Trust me, I'll look after the situation. But I'll look after my way. You just go with me, say yes. You just let me deal with the situation and you follow me, you obey. And you see, <clears throat> if we're not willing to, to face that squarely and say, Lord, <clears throat> whatever you want's okay. We're always going to have self getting in the way. We're always going to live like Jacob did. You know, Jacob knew tremendous blessing. I just wonder what kind of blessing there could have been in his life if he'd actually really surrendered. <laughs> what kind of blessing there could have been in his life if, if he'd given himself to God and said, God, whatever you want. Yeah. <clears throat> Holding on to it destroys us. And Jacob's life is so hard because he held on so tight through all those years. He wasn't letting it go. He was going to make sure it happened for him and it happened the way he wanted it to happen. And that's what made his life so hard and so difficult. Third test is there in verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. We live in a materialistic age and materialism has affected us so much more than we think. The things that we own, the things that we want to own, the things that we have, the things that we want to have, the things that are, are so much part of the woof and fabric of our lives. But you know, we've got to come to the place where we say, listen, that doesn't matter. That's okay. If I never have things, if I never have the things I want, that's okay. Lord, I want you more than I want any of that. You see, if we're going to live by faith, there's a reality that we've got to stop living by self. If we're going to live for him... We've got to stop living for self. If we're going to live his way, it can't be our way. We've got to come to the place where we recognize, no, not, not my life, but his. It's not what I want, but what he wants. And we've got to constantly ask ourselves the questions, listen, where are we as far as these things are concerned? Is he really more important to you than anything else? 
Is, is, there, is there any situation in your life right now that you know he wants you to do something, but you're holding back on it because you want to do something else? You know what? <clears throat> That's self. That's you letting Jacob have his way in your life. That's you living for self and living for Jacob, and the end of it's destruction. It's ruination. I think one of the saddest things is to look at Jacob standing before Pharaoh and saying, few and evil have been the days of my sojourn, and they have not attained unto the days of my father. That's one of the saddest statements in the whole of Scripture. This man who's the father of a nation, his boys are the 12 tribes. This man who has all this blessing in his life, but he struggled and fought and pressed and tried to have his own way all through the years, and listen, he's found himself at the end of it all with nothing. Number four there on page 50, the remedy for the self-life. <clears throat> the remedy for the self-life is nothing short of death. It has to be. It has to be. There's, there's no taking uh, self and uh, you know, uh, turning over a new leaf and being better than you used to be. Self will never be better than it used to be. Self is always out for self. Self is low and mean and crafty, just like Jacob was. And the only thing that's going to help it is death. Uh, now, we like something less drastic. We like something easier. You know, we live in an easy age, and we want an easy Christianity. We want a Christianity that doesn't cost too much. We want a Christianity that doesn't put death to self, but there's no way. Death has to go. And you know the awful thing? It's not a once-and-done thing. I wish it was a once-and-done thing. I wish I could do it once and get it over with. But you know what happens? It keeps surfacing. It keeps coming, and we need to do it again and again. Self needs to go to the cross. Self needs to be renounced. You know, Peter looked at the Lord Jesus Christ, and he said to him, he, 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 he talked to those people, and he said, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. He, he rejected any understanding he had of Christ. You know what? We need to do that with self. We need to reject self. We need to say no to self. Uh, <clears throat> if we are to die to self, we have to take stock of our situation. The Bible tells us that in our flesh dwells no good thing. Do we really believe that, though? Do we really believe that in our flesh dwells no good thing? Isn't that hard to take? You know, you look at your flesh, you look at yourself, and you see some nice things about it. <laughs> Some things that are kind of, you know, well, listen, that's not so bad. Yeah, we, we, Jacob could look back and say, well, you know what? I served 14 years for Rachel. That's love, like few people know. But the truth is, he was just serving self. And the same is true of us. We look at ourselves and we see things that we, we, we call good. The good things we do. And we're serving self. And we have to face it. We have to face it. You see, the reality is that when you're serving God, it's his power, his work in you. Why would you be proud of it? Why would you be proud of you, rather? I will glory in the cross. What do we have to glory in? And yet, we're so proud. When we're proud of self, we're proud of self. Speaking at the bottom of the page there, speaking about the spirit-filled life, Jesse Penn Lewis says, in the entry into the spirit-filled life, the spirit uh, first convinced the believer of their bondage to sin and of the loathsomeness of the selfhood. However, most believers do not appear to have a problem with their sin. Most either do not notice or seem quite happy with self. Uh, they are deceived. Secondly, they are taught that struggle is the only way of sanctification. That's also a deception. Just think about it. Can yourself... Really cleanse self. <laughs> I mean, isn't that a ridiculous thought? And yet, so, so much of the theology out there is telling that exactly that, that self can do the business for self. And that's why it's so powerless and so limp and <clears throat> so unspiritual. Because self can't do it. Self needs to go to the cross. Self needs to be dealt with. Uh, <clears throat> the only way that we can... Get it right is to cooperate with what God is doing in our lives. And dying is not fun. It's, it's just not fun. Now there is a blessing. 
there is a freedom. There is that moment when you say, praise God. It's, it's done. This issue's over. It's dealt with. There is that moment of blessing. But listen, it's not fun. We have to understand that, listen, the only thing for it, though, is for it to go to the cross. Tozer said about the self-life, he said, uh, and death to self, he said, blessed riddance. And that's really what it is. It's a blessed riddance in our lives. And every time you've come to the place where you've died to self, you've been the better for it and the more blessed for it. And it's, <clears throat> life has worked better. And the only way we can achieve it is to cooperate with the death process like Joseph. How do you think Joseph felt when he got thrown in the pit? Man, that, that, listen, that is a perfect venue for a pity party. Isn't it? That's a perfect venue for a pity party. I mean, listen, you could have every justification and every reason why this was unfair. And then to get dragged off as a slave? And then work so hard for Potiphar and end up being thrown in prison? And to be forgotten in prison? I mean, those things could make you hard. But somehow, and the Bible doesn't tell us all of it, Joseph cooperated with the process. And Joseph died. And what we see is the old man, the Jacob, is gone. And somewhere along the line, a new man is born. A man that's completely different. A man that walks with God. A man that knows God. A man that lives for God. A man that sees life completely differently. That's what we need. We need to cooperate with God. There are going to be troubles and trials in your life. There are going to be difficulties. You're going to go home from this conference maybe charged up and, and excited and looking forward to great things and you're going to hit something hard. And it's so easy to say, well, it didn't work. But the truth of it is that you need those hard things and you need to respond rightly to them. You need to come to the place where you say, God, I trust you in this too. I will depend upon you in this too. And do you know there's something about actually coming to that faith that changes situations the circumstances may not immediately change but it changes for you the stress and the worry stops and you start looking at it completely differently because you're trusting him you're putting your trust in him in the issue conclusion then is God breaking you of your self-dependence Jesus said without me you can do nothing However, it takes a work of God to convince us of that. Jesse Ben Lewis says, Have we been brought to this by the Holy Spirit, brought by the Holy Spirit to utter despair of selves? Are we now ready to own that in us dwells no good thing? I wonder how many times the Spirit of God has brought you to despair of yourself. And you, like a drowning man, have clutched on something and risen again. You know that we, a drowning man, will clutch on anything? Uh, maybe it was um, <clears throat> some compliment. Some achievement that you looked at and you said, see, I'm not so bad. I did this. Um, <clears throat> or some success that you, and you have concluded, I'm not that bad. Listen, you need to let go and let God take it away. Self is never going to do it. It is never going to be that self is going to do what you want self to do. Self is never going to serve God. Self is never going to help you. Self is never going to be what you want self to be. We need to come to the place where we let go and let God have his way in our lives and we cooperate with what God is doing. Because God has a plan. He wants to take Jacob and he wants to turn him into a Joseph. Better than a Joseph, he wants to turn him into a Jesus. That's the plan. And it's a good plan. God's put tremendous resources into achieving this plan. He didn't save you so that you could go to heaven, so that you could just struggle through life and finally go to heaven. He saved you to make you like Jesus. And the process of making you like Jesus is the process of you letting go of Jacob so that he can have his way, so that he can do what he wants to do in your life. And if we let God, God will do incredible things in our lives. You see, we can't. I can't. What I need to do it last Thursday is I need to say, Lord, forgive me. That was me. There's no good in it, Lord, and there never could be any good in it. And even though the dogs are back in the cage, Lord, it was the wrong thing to do. And it was the wrong way. Lord, help me. I don't want to do it that way the next time, Lord. I want to trust you the next time. You know, when we cooperate with God, and God's able to take and do something wonderful in our lives. And God is able to take and deal with self. He knows how. 
Don't resist him like Jacob did. Don't come to the end of your days. Few and evil have been the days of my soldier. Don't listen. You're a child of God. You have the spirit of God. You have God working in your life. Yield. Give. Let him have his way. When was the last time you put God out of the situation and you took over? When was the last time it was you and all you? Now, listen, you may have enough polish that nobody knows. My dogs are not going to complain to anybody about what I did to them last Thursday. They've forgotten it. You know, you, 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 may, you may be able to hide it, but you know in your heart God was taken out of the position and you were on the throne for that while you were in charge. Oh, listen, see it for what it is. It's Jacob. It's the self-life. It's you in charge. And it has to be confessed and forsaken so that God can have his way in your life. Oh, listen, if we'll obey him in this, we'll know blessing. And if we won't, we'll be like Jacob all our lives. That's about for prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word to us. Thank you for Jacob. And, oh, Lord, <clears throat> we look at the struggle and the strife of his life, and, Lord, our hearts go out to him. But, Lord, we look at ourselves, and, Lord, I see way too much of him in me. And, Lord, I know this people see way too much of him in them, too. Lord, would you bless in these moments. Lord, would you let us truly come to grips with what we are. And, oh, Lord, may we surrender to you and know the blessed, sweet joy of yielding to you and seeing you change us and make us like Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.